Hello, and welcome to Booze and Bloodshed. I'm your host, Susanna. And I'm Cindy. And today we are drinking a wine, a red wine, of course. And this wine is um, the, what do I want to say? Company <laughs> that makes it is called Inkscape. <laughs> um, is it bottled by Inkscape? Or is it no? It's it's it's. It, what do they do with wine? How do they? What do, yeah, it is bottled by Inkscape. There you go. Damn. In California, um, but this one is a Cab Sauv, and it's really good. Or at least I think it's really good. It is good. This it uh, the good bottle too. tells me um, that it has. Uh, complex notes of coffee, vanilla, cedar, and cigar box floating above a black current depth. Mm, so sophisticated. Yes. 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 Your pinkies need to be up for this one. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. But actually, real quick before <laughs> we dive into my case this week, um, if you guys haven't seen on our Instagram yet, um, recently, so today is the 12th of May, um, and just, what was this, yesterday? That that Yes, means? yes. Yeah. Um, so for... Uh, let's see, what was it? Episode six, the Missoula Mahler. Um, one of the potential victims, uh, Christy Crystal Creek, as they named her um, because she was unidentified, has now been identified um, as Janet Lee Lucas. Um, she was from Spokane, Washington. Um, and to... Police knowledge, she had no reason to be in Missoula. She didn't have family, um, and her family stated that she didn't have any reason to be in Missoula either. So uh, we're still unsure as to how or why she ended up in Missoula. Um, and so her case is still open, um, and police are now trying to determine if she truly was a victim of um, Wayne Nance or if possibly somebody else may have murdered her. Uh, so if you know anything about Janet Lee Lucas um, and like her whereabouts during 1983 and 84, uh, please do call the, uh, the Missoula County Sheriff's Office at 406 2584810. And if you want to see a picture of Janet, I have posted it onto our Instagram at Booze and Bloodshed. Um, so you can take a look at that picture, see if you recognize her. Um, and if you were in the Missoula area during the mid 80s, you know, maybe you might know something you don't even realize it. So. Yeah. yeah, take a look at the picture because maybe you, you maybe sh 
she was at a rest area or something that maybe yeah you would have been encountered her unknowingly um, during her last her last uh, days. Yeah, no information is too small. So even if you think it doesn't mean much, definitely uh, hand it on over to the police because they can decide whether it's important or not. <laughs> All right, but on to my case for this week. So I am doing... Uh, the case of Jessica Baggin. Um, Any relation to Bilbo? <laughs> I've, I wish. I literally thought about that the entire time I was doing this case. <laughs> especially just because, like, I... Matt and I just got done watching the whole, like, Hobbit trilogy and Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh. So, yeah, I was sitting there. I'm just like, Frodo Baggin. <laughs> <laughs> but, obviously, of course, no, she's not related damn it <laughs> um she was of average height she was not very short so. oh okay <laughs> no i'm kidding sorry shouldn't, no hobbit toes we shouldn't make fun of jessica because she is no longer with us okay i'll behave um but a bit about jessica so she was born jessica irene baggin on i hope i'm saying it right i'm assuming it's baggin it doesn't look like it'd be bagin but let's I guess hope we not know. let's bagin <laughs> Uh, anyways, but she was born on May 3rd of 1979 to parents George and Vicky Baggin. Uh, she and her three older sisters, Corella, who went by Corey, Melissa, and Amanda, um, they were all born and raised in Sitka, Alaska. Uh, Jessica and her sisters were extremely close, um, having played and shared, talked, and worked together all their lives. Uh, Jessica was a very independent woman who loved the outdoors and was completely at home either on land or on water. Her and her family went on many and frequent fishing trips around the Sitka area. And Jessica loved being the official boat cook on these trips and would prepare breakfast, lunch, and dinner for her family and friends. Uh, she learned to cook in her mom's and her aunt Diane's kitchens and was even actually considering a career in the culinary arts uh, back then. And Jessica loved a good laugh and she would often tease and be silly with her cousins. And she was, was also a very loving and nurturing uh, aunt to her nieces and nephew. She had two nieces and a nephew at that time. Okay. Um, so, the course of the case's events happened in 1996. Uh, so, it was just after Jessica turned 17. So, May 3rd, 1996, Jessica's birthday, she had gone to her sister's house. I, I never saw, it never specified which sister, so I don't know what sister's house she went to. Um all of my sources just said her sister's house. It didn't. And, and what, what, how, how, where was she in the, the progression of siblings? Uh, I believe she was the youngest. Okay. Yes. Cause her, um, two of her sisters were married and another one, um, had, uh, two children, but not married, at least not at that time. Okay. And she was 17 at the time. Correct. Okay. She had just turned 17. Okay. So, yeah, so on her birthday, May 3rd, she 
had gone to her sister's house, um, which she lived in Arrowhead Trailer Court. And this all does occur in Sitka. They all still live in Sitka, Alaska. Okay. Uh, But yeah, so she went to her sister's house in Arrowhead Trailer Court to celebrate her 17th birthday. And late that night slash very early the next morning at around 1.30 a.m., Jessica began to make her way back home to her parents' house, um, which was on Barlow Street, which was roughly a mile walk from her sister's house. Okay, so not... So not very far. Um, It was late at night, and she did decide to walk back on her own. Uh, But, I mean, you know, Sitka was, and I mean, still is, a very small town. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Uh, You know, nobody really thought anything of it, you know? Um, So it wasn't out of... Out of normal activity. No. I mean, it was... uh, She was out later than her, like, normal curfew, but her parents had given her permission to stay out later because it was her birthday, um, and she was just at her sister's house. So, you know, nothing nothing too crazy. So, initially, her parents were not concerned about her being out late, you know? Uh, They assumed that she would have stayed out later, But by the morning time, Jessica still hadn't returned. Uh, And so they began to panic, of course, you know, because she was supposed to come home that night. She wasn't supposed to stay the night or anything like that. Um, And probably would have called if they had decided it was too late. Exactly. Yeah, they definitely would have. I mean, she was at her sister's house. Like, right. You know, why wouldn't they call? And. Uh, It doesn't say in any of the sources that I read, but I assume that her parents immediately called her sister to see if she was still there and, of course, found out that she was not. Right. Um, so, the family spent all of May 4th uh, searching for Jessica, uh, and when they yielded no results, her father reported her missing to the Sitka police in the early morning hours of May 5th. So, I believe it was, like, around, literally, like, around 12 a.m., Oh, okay. Because um, they literally spent, like, the entire day of May 4th looking for her. Okay. And, like, contacting friends and seeing if any anybody had heard from her. Uh, anyway, so when they reported her missing, of course, you know, police sent out search parties and began searching for her as well. Um, and when they also yielded no results, the Sitka fire chief, Doug Karpstein, activated the fire department's search and rescue team just before 11 p.m. on May 5th. So, around 1 a.m. on May 6th, 6th, uh, the a searcher from the fire department's search and rescue team found a bloody shirt, which was later identified as the shirt that Jessica was wearing the night she disappeared. Then a couple hours after that, at about 3 a.m., still on May 6th, another searcher found Jessica's naked body about 70 feet off of the bike path that she would have taken home in a hollowed-out area under a large fallen tree trunk. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And so she had been hastily covered with leaves and dirt in an attempt to hide her body. And more of Jessica's clothing and belongings were found in that area right around where she was found. 
And so police were I la police were able to identify the body as Jessica based off of the family's description of her jewelry, which matched the jewelry that was found on slash near her body. So they've found a body, positively identified it as Jessica. Um and so, of course, you know, Jessica's body was immediately sent to the Alaska State Crime Lab uh, to have a, an autopsy done because it was clearly... Rain. Foul play. Foul play, yes. And that report indicated that she had actually died shortly after starting her walk home. Oh. Yeah, her time of death death was not too long after one thirty. Oh, my gosh. Um. So do they know that was she adapted like right out of sight of her sister's house and taken to this location, or would it be more likely that she would have been accosted near the location she was found? My bet is that um, yeah, she was already on that bike path and walking towards um, her home. So this bike path, okay, so. Um, I don't know the whole layout of Sitka, but from my understanding, so the trailer park that her sister lives in uh, is right off of a road called called Sawmill Road, and the bike path parallels that road. Oh, okay. And essentially, it sounds like it essentially connects right to where, to the street where her parents lived on. Okay, okay. Is my understanding. So it was kind of like a straight shot down this bike path back to her parents' house, from my understanding. Um, so I believe that, yes, she had already gotten to this bike path and had started walking down and was then abducted off of that bike path and or attacked, I guess, and then taken off. Because she was only found about 70 feet off of that bike path, which is not very far. No, no. Um, so that that is my assumption. It was never clarified exactly. Uh, excuse me. I don't think they could really determine, but that is my assumption on how slash when she was taken. Okay. Okay. Yes. So the autopsy report also um, determined that she had been raped prior to her death, and the cause of death was either strangulation or asphyxiation. And they couldn't determine between the two because, one, she had dirt and leaves shoved down her throat. Oh. That was blocking her airways. Mm-hmm. But she also had a small bone in her neck that was damaged, which would occur due to strangulation. So it was a congruent injury with strangulation. So, yeah, so they couldn't quite determine which one it was clearly both had occurred but they're not quite sure if it was the strangulation or the asphyxiation that got her basically either way terrible way to go yeah um and it sounds like her last moments were pretty horrifying unfortunately she's Um, 17 i know she's only 17 she's such a baby um so very sad and tragic and so You know, of course, the whole town was very upset about this. I mean, they were a teeny tiny town. I was going to say, Sitka still is not a big heart town. Exactly. And so, yeah, so so many people were just like, how how could this even happen? Like, who would have done this, you know? Um, So it really shook up this town. And 
you know, the police were under a lot of pressure to get it solved because, you know, everybody's up in arms over yeah. it. Um, it's very shocking. I mean, that just doesn't really happen uh, in their town. Uh, it was funny because one, one of my sources actually mentioned how, like, their police blotter like in the newspaper was kind of comical, kind of similar to how ours is, you know, where like you just you get such random like yeah. complaints of people and not like I don't want to say like true crime, but like not violent, aggressive crime. It's like, you know, so and so's dog took my newspaper off the doorstep right, or something, right. you know, something silly like that. Um anyway, so the police had no suspects uh, to begin with, and they were frantically trying to figure out this case. And then nine days later, on May 15th, uh, I should say nine days after Jessica's body was discovered, on May 15th, uh, a man named Richard Bingham walked into the Sitka police station and confessed to her rape and murder. And what? so, Yeah. Just kind of out of the blue, he just walked in. Was he a resident of Sitka? He was. So I'll, I'll get to a little bit about him. But um, so Richard was arrested and jailed later that day after being intensely interrogated by investigators. Uh, Richard was charged with first degree murder and first degree sexual assault um, and would be put on trial. And so a little bit about Richard. He was a. Th- he was 34 at the time, and he lived on a fishing boat in the Sitka Harbor. Uh, he worked as a janitor at Sheldon Jackson College, which was in Sitka. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a longtime resident, and he was also a very heavy drinker. So people who knew him said that he was highly suggestible, and his friends would often tease him by saying that he did, you know, XYZ uh, thing while he was blackout drunk so like they would those little like tidbits they would find in the police blotter portion of the newspaper like they would tell him like oh you did this while you were blackout drunk and nice friends i know right that's what i was, I was like <laughs> a bunch of bastards yeah in my opinion i'm like well, those aren't friends no like this poor dude and he would take it to heart because he honestly couldn't remember he was blackout drunk he doesn't remember what he did and he would believe them like, yeah, which I'm like, yeah, some friends you people are. Like, right? that's rude. Taking advantage of somebody's situation. Like, it's not funny. No. In my opinion. But anyway, so it came out later that a drinking buddy of Richard's suggested that maybe he had something to do with Jessica's death. And this led Richard to start having, quote, disturbing dreams and flashbacks of harming Jessica. And so that's why he ended up going to the police station in the first place and confessing. Because he he was blackout drunk the night that she would disappeared. Okay. And he couldn't remember what happened. So suggestions by a so-called friend mm-hmm. that he could that maybe he was involved and so that triggered his brain to start having these so-called flashbacks or memories um that he had harmed jessica so did he know things 
like, you know, sometimes, you know, well, a lot of cases, the police will hold back stuff. Mm-hmm. Did he know things that, like, how she was found or... See, there was a little bit of yes and no. There were some things that kind of seemed like it was very circumstantial and seemed like, okay, maybe he is a possible suspect. However, um, he did get things wrong. Like, he said that she was wearing, oh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like a dress or, or a certain colored shirt or something like that. And she that was not what she was wearing. Um, so that wasn't true. And... Um, but what's crazy is that, so they still put him on trial and Richard ended up spending 13 months in jail before he was finally acquitted due to lack of physical evidence. Um, and, and also the fact that he couldn't get many of the details of Jessica's case correct. Well, what a waste of effort, time and effort and it truly was, and it it's really unfortunate. I mean, clearly Richard didn't have a, a super awesome life. Um, however, he was, I mean, he was ran out of this town because even though he was acquitted, everybody still thought that he did it just oh, because he was charged. Yeah. And he, I mean, he couldn't live there anymore. He ended up having to move um, down to the lower 48. Um, and I think he ended up in Washington and, and is still currently there. Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, yeah, this poor man was just... Granted, he brought a little bit of it upon himself by believing the suggestion that maybe he had something to do with it and then going into the police. Um, But apparently he had gone into the police and was like, oh, I'm having, you know, these flashbacks and these memories. Like, can you help me? Like... That sort of thing. And then during the interrogation part is, like, when he, like, confessed um, to her rape and murder. And honestly, I think I think that the police just wanted to pin this on anybody that they could. They were trying to get closure to this fast because of... Because of all the pressure they were under. Yeah. Um, and... But still, it's better to do something right the first time. Exactly, exactly. And when we get to who actually did it in his past, mm. anyways. But so yeah, and also like so they, uh, as I said, like there was no physical evidence of Richard ever being at the crime scene or being anywhere near it. And in fact, he ended up having alibis. For that night of where he was. So some true friends actually spoke up. Yeah, or somebody, yeah. Um, So, I mean, regardless, his life there was ruined, which is unfortunate. Um, But, so, basically, with Richard getting acquitted, the police now had nobody, and they had no new leads. Um, They had no other suspects. And the police, they did have DNA evidence from the crime scene. But of course, you know, in 1996, they couldn't really utilize that at that time. Right, Um, right. And so later on, they spent years trying to find a match for it, um, but to no avail. And so the case went cold Um, until... uh, 
September of 2018, the Alaska State Troopers Cold Case Investigation Unit and the Sitka Police Department decided to utilize a new forensic DNA technique called genetic genealogy, uh, which this is the use of genetic information from direct-to-consumer companies, so kind of like Ancestor DNA or that sort oh, of company. okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't believe they actually use that one specifically, but just companies like that. Okay, okay. Um, 23 and you are it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but so... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so direct-to-consumer companies for identifying suspects or victims in criminal cases. Um, And I also got a little more of an in-depth definition from the International Society of Genetic Genealogy wiki. And they say, quote, genetic genealogists use DNA profiles from a crime scene or from unidentified human remains to identify close genetic DNA profiles or matches. So by comparing the known genealogy of those close familial matches, this constrains the number of possible close relatives of the perpetrator or victim. Such efforts enable investigators or researchers to more closely focus on their investigation in cold criminal cases, providing new leads. This technique came to public attention after the arrest of the Golden State Killer in April of 2018. And by October of 2019, more than 60 cold cases had been solved in this manner. Wow. So, yeah, this is a huge thing that has come up in the last um, few years. And so, um, the suspect's DNA in Jessica's case was submitted to Parabon Nano Labs for a DNA profile to be established. And so, this profile was completed in February of 2019 and submitted to public genealogy databases. And by the end of 2019, um, a new suspect was found, and his name was Steve Branch. So, at this time, um, in 2019, Steve lived in Arkansas, but investigators did determine that he had lived in Sitka at the time of Jessica's rape and murder. Um, was he from Sitka, or he was Uh, You know, I'm not sure if he was actually from there, but he did live there for quite a while. Okay. Um, from my understanding. And... Uh, they also, investigators also found that Steve had been charged with the rape of another young woman in Sidka just a couple months before Jessica's death. So why wouldn't you look there? Exactly. And that's the baffling thing. And that's why so many people are like, why would you not at least consider this man? Because, so this, um, rape allegation took place in March of 1996, literally two months before Jessica's um, death. Which I'm like, how, what? Like, how do you know? And and this case went to trial, so it's not like they didn't know about it or anything, which is why it's so baffling. And like, um, some people suspect that, um, what was, who was it? The detective who was like the lead on Jessica's case was either dating or, like, married to this guy's sister at the time. 
<laughs> and so they believe that, you know, he just turned blind eye, like, oh, no, it can't be him. And didn't even try to look into him at the time. Oh, my God. That's sickening. Right? I mean, obviously, that is speculation, but obviously something occurred for them to just completely ignore this situation. Yeah. Because... Uh, a similar a similar incident month, months ahead of time. Right? Yeah. And so, anyway... I think so, that would be the prime. I know. And also, this... The girl that he... Uh, raped or or was alleged to rape right uh she was 18 oh so only a year older than jessica mm-hmm. um and anyway so yeah why the police never looked into him baffles me uh however steve was acquitted of that charge um during his trial because he managed to persuade the jury that it was consensual which is of course yeah we won't get into it we won't get into it and he was he was consensually married too mhm actually yes he was jeez ways what an ass yeah <laughs> uh yeah i know um Anyways, so Alaska State Troopers reached out to the Arkansas State Troopers to have them try to get a discarded DNA sample from Steve so that they could compare it to the DNA sample that they had from Jessica's case. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, Unfortunately... The Arkansas State Troopers failed to do this, and they spent weeks trying to get one, and and they couldn't. Um, and so by May of 2020, so just a year ago, a kinship DNA analysis was completed and indicated that Steve Branch was likely the perpetrator in Jessica's case. So this gave the Alaska State Troopers enough... Um, what do I want to say? I guess enough reason for enough them. Enough evidence to, to, to open a, a case, an investigation? Uh, I guess, yeah, essentially to actually consider him a true, true suspect and be able to go and question him. So so what type of DNA? Well, I'm not, okay, so I'm not. So a kinship DNA um analysis was completed and so basically what that was was uh sorry so the kinship dna analysis was done on the dna sample from the crime scene okay and so basically what that is is that genealogists were able to essentially form a family tree based off of that dna and what was in public dna databases so someone in Steve's family had done a a, a DNA, yeah, like a twenty three and Me or a okay, ancestry, a genealogy, or a genealogy search. Yes, yes, um, oh. and so that gave them reason enough to go down to Arkansas, the Alaska State Troopers, to go down to Arkansas to question Steve, and From so one day to the other, yeah. So they uh, arrived at Steve's home on august 3rd of 2020 uh to interview him question him about jessica's 
uh, murder, rape and murder. And so Steve, you know, of course, he denied any involvement and he refused to give a voluntary DNA sample. Of course. Which red flags. If you weren't involved, then why why not just give it? Clear your name. Oh, because it's against my constitutional's constitutions. <laughs> yeah. Well, people who defend him say that he didn't want to give a DNA sample because he'd already been through this before with that rape allegation. Oh, woe is me. Yeah, woe is me. And basically, he didn't want to end up back in on a trial or anything again, which I'm like... BS. They don't like, rape people. Right? Um, anyways, and so when he refused to give them a DNA sample, the troopers left his house to go get a warrant for his DNA, and then they were going to come back and obviously forcefully get it. Right. Um, but about 30 minutes after they left Steve's house, he committed suicide by shooting himself. Oh, Lord. So, if that doesn't say I'm guilty, I right? don't yeah, exactly pretty, know what does. Pretty guilty conscience there would be my assumption. But this did allow the state troopers to get a DNA sample during his autopsy. Because they had to do an autopsy. Uh, the local police did an autopsy on him to determine what his cause, that he truly did commit right. suicide. It wasn't... Right, because they, they, Some they sort didn't of homicide know if it was or, homicide or suicide. Yeah, Correct. And they did determine that it was a self-inflicted gunshot. Um, and But anyway, so, so yeah, so they got DNA from his autopsy and compared it to the DNA sample from Jessica's case. And it came back as a positive match. Oh, light bulb. And so at long last, 24 years later... Jessica Baggins' case is solved. So whatever happened, whatever happened to the the guy who was fed a line? I mean, is he Richard? Yeah, did he uh, ever any get any type of? Actually, um, he. I believe he is. I don't know if he currently or what, um, but I know that he at least was. Um, going to put together a lawsuit against the Sitka Police Department. I mean, good lord! Because he was literally ran out of town. Yeah, and in one of the sources that I read, uh, it talked about how so the defense lawyer that Richard had at the time uh, is working from the sounds of it is working with him again for this lawsuit. Um, I can't think of what her name was, uh, or is, um, so Galen? was there Galen Payne? That's what her name is. Was there any connection or any thought that maybe Steve instigated the, the, Hey, that is an interesting point. The town's blackout drunk. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. That's a very interesting point. I honestly I have no idea. There was never any further explanation on who this drinking buddy was or anything like that. Um, but that would be interesting. I don't know. Well, maybe it'll come out whenever this case gets Maybe. Heard. I hope he does go after this lawsuit because 
he literally got ran out of town because of this. And what about the and the Steve's brother-in-law, law official? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy stuff. I mean, on the one hand, it's great that they have finally discovered who did this to Jessica. I'm sure her family. Oh, it has to feels at so least a closure. little bit better. Yeah, it feels some closure. It does suck that he doesn't get to rot in jail and he just got to die of his own accord. Is there any uh, other? Is he linked to anything else, or did he? Not that I have heard of. Uh, and that is a big question. Like a lot of people are wondering, like, well, what was his life like in Arkansas? Because, and also after, because so he lived in Sitka until. 2010 and that's when he moved down to arkansas was in 2010 and then he remained there until he shot himself wow so it's it is people a lot of people are really wondering like what if what had gone on during that time because he was i mean he was married uh when he shot himself and his wife uh doesn't believe that he was involved. Well, I mean, no, that'd be that'd be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, so at the very least he was good at putting on a good facade. Um but it's yeah, it's kind of at least at this point it's kind of unknown if he did any other terrible things between Jessica's event and event jessica's death and steve's death yeah because it's well i just i mean it just seems like in a two-month time he commits two two rapes and then yeah subsequent i bet you he murdered jessica because she was trying to get away maybe she was screaming or yelling that's what would make sense to me with having both the the dirt and the, the debris down her throat that mm-hmm. you know maybe was trying to choke her, but then took a handful of whatever and shoved it down her throat to to hush her up. Yeah, and I mean that would also explain like why he tried to cover her body, tried to hide her. Oh yeah, well I mean if this and, bike path was, I mean you had the main road, the bike path. I mean, mm-hmm. and then wooded area basically. Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully she's able to, Jessica can rest in peace and her family can have some peace. I hope so, because that would just be absolutely horrible. I mean, from uh, a newspaper article at the time had done up essentially, I guess, like an obituary mm-hmm. for her. And um, she sounded like a very lovable and kind young lady and had a bright future ahead just of on her. the cusp of exploring what life has mm-hmm. wow yeah i mean her family was definitely very shook to the core can't imagine by by that event very very sad but hopefully they can have some some closure now mm-hmm. and Maybe rest easy a little bit. Yes. 
Well, we hope we hope for that. We do. We very much do. And so that brings a close to my case this week. Kind of a shorter one, but I thought it was important to tell. It is, and it, it's really important. I mean, it's 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 amazing uh, with the genealogy uh, t- technology or mm-hmm. science now. How? Yeah, that's very fascinating to me. And like, I mean, can you imagine? Like, they've already solved. Um, I think by now they've already solved like over a hundred cold cases. I mean, using this technique. That's incredible just because of of like like we were saying the the closure Mm -hmm. i mean that has to right i mean even though obviously it's not going to bring anybody back but just to know i think you what happened who who did it you know like i feel like that can help a lot i think i think that yes help with moving on to me it would be the peace the Mm -hmm. peace that knowing okay that who did this has been caught it can't do it to someone else mm-hmm. and now my daughter my my child my loved one can spirit can be free yeah yeah that's the way i would look at it i agree i agree with you hmm well i'm i am happy for that family it's not the outcome that they want, but at least it's... At least it's some closure. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right. Well, that is this week's case. We will catch you guys next week with a new case. Um, do go give us a follow on Instagram at booze and bloodshed. And if you have any questions, comments, if you want to give us any case suggestions, please shoot us an email at booze and bloodshed at gmail.com. Um, also one thing that we would really love to start at some time would be to do listener episodes, those are have always been some of my favorite episodes on the podcast that I listen to, and I would love to do that on our podcast as well. So if any of you guys have any true crime or paranormal experiences, like please email those to us because we would love to hear them. Yes, so. indeed. Yeah. Give us a shout. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Goodbye.